What's up, everyone? We're back. Dr. Shaw. I'm Dr. Maxfield. Welcome back to Doctorly Unhinged, where we have our unhinged take on all things related to beauty and otherwise. And Dr. Maxfield said I was looking slim. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. Yeah. So he was telling me about what he was doing for exercise. So for today's roster, uh, we're going to do our life recaps, what's been going on lately. We're going to shout out some things that are coming up, talk about some of my investment advice, good, bad. I'm not an investment expert, but you can live life vicariously through me. What happens if you dissolve your filler? Will it destroy your face? And then medical tourism, a topic we've talked about before, but now we've got some numbers and I may have even changed my mind on this topic in general. So first is the life recap. And Dr. Shaw was talking about how I think he looks svelte and slim. And he was started going off on this exercise routine and I don't believe it. So I want him to share it with you uh, <laughs> so I can publicly disbelieve this. Okay. So I recently moved to Miami. It's beautiful outside all the time. And I'm walking more in general. I also have started to exercise. I have a gym in my building and I wake up at seven and I go to the gym uh, for 30 minutes to an hour depending, but I'm going about three to four times a week pretty consistently. I've also bought a lot more black and black is very slimming. So I don't know whether or not I'm actually, because I haven't dieted yet. Uh, I'm Mm. trying to, in my mind, I'm preparing to diet, but I just love food so much. But that being said, I have been going to the gym and I've also been doing cardio at the gym. Nice. And I think that's a big, that's a big task. It's a big lift. Uh, Dr. Shaw told me he used to play soccer. We never did race. So I don't know if this is actually true, but at one time he was athletic. So I'm excited to see him get back into this. I'm a big proponent for exercise. I think your quality of life is sustained and improved over the decades. So I'm excited for your future. (sighs) Yes. And you know, actually this is a, a shower thought that I had today. And, you know, me exercising, I'm sleeping a little bit more. You know what other, you know what other life change I made? Hmm. So we have like windows in our room and we've actually been sleeping with the window blinds open, right? So most of the time, right, you black out, we used to black out our entire, and then we would wake up by alarm and then open all the blinds, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're actually keeping, we're still waking up by alarm. However, we've actually kept the windows open. So we are also woken up by sunlight and I don't know that it's actually improved any quality of my life, but I think sleeping better. I was actually thinking about this, right? Because in order to create content on social media that resonates, I believe with our intended group is that you have to be creative. You have to have some sort of creative angle and in, in like the hierarchy of life, like, you know, like the Maslow's pyramid of hierarchy of needs and like the top of that pyramid is self-actualization, but the bottom of that period is like food and shelter and things like that. Right. And in order to reach like self-actualization, you need to like have food and shelter. Well, I think like in life, like creativity is like the top of that pyramid as far as like skills. And if you don't sleep enough, you don't eat enough, you don't exercise enough, you're not, you know, being healthy, drinking enough water, like all those other basic needs aren't met, then creativity, I think, is like the first thing to sort of suffer. Hmm. Um, and so I think in order to be creative, I need to focus more on myself. That's, I, I am a big fan of that, um, which kind of comes into my next thing. But like, yeah, if I, if I woke up by the sun, that would be sleeping in for me. So you're, <laughs> but it speaks to our, Dr. Shaw is the type of person who stays up late and works I'm the type of person who gets up early and works. It ended up being that we both work a lot, but we just do it at different times during the day. <laughs> but my, so here's the thing. I also tell Dr. Shaw, I had a dream about him the other night 
And I was going to just share it on a here nightmare. because yeah, a nightmare. <laughs> can't escape him at any moment. But the, the dream was something as simple as like he came over and we just hung out for all, like all morning. And I don't know when you're older, you kind of forget what it feels like in high school. You have time to burn and you just hang out like you don't think of I need to do this or like, what are we doing or what's the work? What the, It's been I mean, I don't know how long it's been for you, but it's probably been 15 years since I've felt that like, oh, we're just hanging out. We're just just chilling. And I, that was like a really good dream. And, I, and then I woke up and I was like, oh, man, like, we don't do this in life. <laughs> I was Dr. just thinking, so <laughs> I'm going to North Carolina to see Dr. Maxfield um, next week. And we'll be shooting content there for the YouTube channel. And we'll probably be shooting all day. So we won't be hanging out pretty much at all. But there's certainly some truth in that where it's like now it's like every... But like I also think because I, I just gave this like big master class like with Cetaphil to like a derms that want to do social media. So it's like a thousand derms that came and I gave like this like virtual master class and I was like giving tips to people. And like every time I show a slide of like you and I on YouTube, I always say that it's like such a privilege to be able to do this, like go through this social media thing through this sort of life experience with like a close friend. Right. So it's, it is really cool, but then part of it is that we don't get to hang out yeah. anymore, right? So exactly uh, there's like pros and cons for sure. Yeah, well, I'm honored. Yeah, every now and then I get like one of those touching moments and I know you do too. And we're just like, oh, I'm thankful. And then we are, th I'm super thankful we'll get to do this with a friend. But anyway, before I get all teary-eyed, also said I was going to bring out some fluff and some fake stuff, but I've shouted these sunglasses out before, blenders. And no, I don't have no relationship with them. But if you, you need to buy these sunglasses, they feel like quality. They look great. And I'm kind of mad. And I told Dr. Shaw this already, but Deion Sanders, who is um, a former football player, now the coach of CU, Colorado Buffaloes, revived them from the dead. He He's doing bl these sunglasses blenders. And now that he's doing it, I know that they are never going to care about me. <laughs> like if they've got Deion Sanders, Dr. Maxfield is nothing but a crumb underneath their shoe. But they are really, really, really good sunglasses. They look good. They're quality. They're cheap. Um they're stellar. Blenders sunglasses prime does $5 million in three days with yeah, I, have, I do not have that return on investment. <laughs> uh, so blenders, if you're listening to this, you know, you have your new spokesperson because there is benefits to protecting yourself. Think about it. If you have to squint in the sun, it will cause wrinkles and therefore sponsor Dr. Maxfield. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Also, I'm shouting out a scalp serum, um, undefined. This is their second box they sent me. The packaging is really cool. Um, they just have really pretty attention grabbing packaging, but they have a really Ooh. cool scalp serum. And uh, I know this, I think this is going to be something we're seeing more of across brands as hair care and skincare blends. But mm -hmm. all my patients, not all, but patients in the real world, scalp, especially as we get older, scalp itchiness, scalp dryness, all of this is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And let me just read the ingredient list to you because. What I like out of a scalp serum is something that's very watery, but this has niacinamide, sal palmetto, ashwagandha, which those are two ingredients, the latter two, even niacinamide, you'll see in a lot of hair growth supplements, and there are some topical studies. Uh, caffeine, tremella, which I'm not familiar with, foti, I'm not familiar with, peptides, plant peptides, amla. And um, so this, there's a few scalp serums I actually do recommend in the office because of the itchy scalp things, the Ordinary's NMF scalp solutions, one of them. Hmm. And this one is probably going to make the list. It's really nice. And I, I'm going to try it. 
I don't have a specific goal in mind, but maybe hair growth. Some of the ingredients will mirror what you can do with a supplement. So um, undefined RR scalp, R&R scalp serum. I'm a fan of the ingredients, going to give it a shot, but I think this actually fills an unmet need. Tremella is a mushroom that's become very popular lately in skincare products. Thank you. There um, it is. So interesting, interesting stuff. Okay. So what are we talking about today? We have a couple things. We're talking about filler. Well, we have to give your investment advice as well. Maybe we give that at the end. Okay. Stick around for Dr. Maxfield's investment advice at the end. Finances and, at the end. Uh, we're going to be talking about Ariana Grande and others. Uh, she's not the only one. Um, who has basically regretted some of the cosmetic procedures that she's had done and others have had done. They've had filler and they've dissolved it. And there's a lot of actual celebrities that have talked about how they had a lot of filler, they dissolved the filler, they're happier without the filler. And then some people feel like dissolving their filler also ruined their face. So we're going to talk a little bit about the mechanics of that. And then we're also going to be talking about um, medical tourism, which we talked about in the past. And it's continuing to rise. And I, I sort of understand why. And I still stand by what I said on our last podcast episode about medical tourism. But we're going to talk a little bit about some hard facts on medical tourism. So let's jump in first to this dissolving filler situation and give you a little bit of background. So Ariana Grande basically said that she had been getting Botox and fillers her whole life. And then sort of regretted it with time. And then what I really liked about this quote, because this is something that we've been saying on the podcast and on our channel for many years now, which is quote unquote from Ariana Grande. I want to see my well-earned cry lines and smile lines. I hope my smile lines get deeper and deeper and I laugh more and more. Aging can be such a beautiful thing. So I think that, you know, we all want to have healthy skin and we all do a lot of these procedures ourselves. We perform these procedures um, but, you know, there is a beauty in aging and we've always talked about that. And I'm glad that now people are sort of embracing that. Uh, so that is an interesting uh, sentiment from her because that is the, I feel we feel very similarly in that and especially with certain things because your facial lines are often ex an expression of your life lived. And that's sometimes my patients tell me that they're like, oh, I have this wrinkle or like I look old, blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, you've earned it. It's a good thing. Like <laughs> if you want to, you can celebrate it. And now again, we'll help and happily equip people to slow this process of aging down, this losing battle. Because I've also said many, many times there's something eternal and youthful in all of us. And when we look in the mirror, we just want to see some reflection of that. So I can easily get, I feel like I can easily empathize with both people. But the second side of this is that she said she's gotten filler and procedures most of her entire life. And we've also talked about the utility of particularly Botox in young individuals. And I, 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 think because of what you have said about filler and how if you stretch out the anatomy of the skin when you dissolve it maybe it's going to look more wrinkled than it would have otherwise maybe the aging factors will be exaggerated botox is more of a preventative thing so i still stand by that if that's something someone wants to do i don't believe it's going to change the long-term trajectory of their face their smile lines but it'll slow it down filler maybe there's more room for debate and discussion on this maybe like Ariana Grande said, and again, some other articles have come out this year and over the last couple of years where people have felt like they get the filler dissolved and their face looks a lot more aged, not only than when they started, but then they feel like it should have over that period of time. And it's instantaneous. And again, we've talked about this at length, but I think it is possible that filler can stretch things out to an unnatural way. And then just with weight loss, like we've said in a previous podcast, 
the skin itself and the structures can be stretched and distorted. So it looks very shocking and surprising how you can age in a very short period of time after removing something like that. Yeah, I think it's very similar to what we talked about before with Ozempic face, which is that if you have a lot of volume in the face, whether it be from filler or from fat, that if you lose that fat or that filler quickly, it is going to exaggerate the signs of aging because this is what happens with aging is that you lose volume. And when you lose volume, things look more wrinkly, things move the direction of gravity, there's more laxity in the skin. And so dissolving your filler definitely exaggerates that. Now, I do think that when people first start getting filler specifically, because I agree with you that neuromodulators, the effect is not as profound. It doesn't necessarily, it mostly doesn't change the way that you look unless you're getting masseter Botox or something that is sort of changing the structure of your face and is more preventative. So when we're specifically talking about filler and we're injecting filler into the face, people can start to look distorted very quickly where they don't even really look like themselves anymore. And I think when you are the person getting this done and you're really evaluating yourself on a day-to-day basis and you're really close in the mirror, you sort of lose the forest for the trees type of situation. You start to like look at every wrinkle and and you looking at your lips as an isolated thing, but you're not looking at your mm-hmm. lips in the context of your entire face. And then you people start to look more and more distorted with time. And then you wonder like, how did they get there? But they didn't get there like in one day. They got there over several procedures, over several times, several decisions, several injectors continuing to allow this to happen, right? So it's not like an overnight thing that this happens. And And I I think that we've seen this sort of like industry switch where people are starting to kind of shy away a little bit from fillers more than ever. Um, But at the same time, fillers have become more and more accessible, right? So like you, like I think there was like Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus and Sephora and all these people are now starting to offer like Medispas like inside Mm. these sort of things, which, which makes it more accessible, but also a little bit more unregulated. Um, and so I think that people can start to get more and more distorted with time. But I do think that if you dissolve your filler, you will have more laxity in the skin, at least temporarily. Now, you have to stick that out until things start to go back to normal. I do think that it can sort of permanently change your anatomy, like of your lips, for example, um, if you get filler done on your lips. And so even if you dissolve it, like your lips will probably never be exactly like they were before. Hmm. You know, that brings up a good point too, with the increased accessibility. And I'm going to, I mean, we're talking about, we talk about devices occasionally on our channel and as technology improves at home devices, at home procedures are going to just be more and more prevalent. It, it just, it becomes less expensive. The quality can closely match in office or more closely for some things. And I, I, I didn't come up with this idea. I think it was actually Dermangelo who said it, but um, the problem with some of the, the way that the consumer is approaching a lot of these cosmetic procedures they're consuming it like it's um, they're they're cons- they're taking it out of context of medical care. Like this is still a medical procedure, mm-hmm. and people lose sight of that. And so I guess with this, with I mean, filler really is a medical procedure. And if it's just as if something as accessible as in your Nordstrom or Kohl's or whatever, you can hop in, buy your skincare, get some filler on the way out. I I don't know if I'm a fan of that. I'm all for accessibility. I'm a big fan of armor people and showing you a good device when it can come to your house. Uh, but yeah, I think we do need to be cognizant of that. The fact that these are still medical procedures, this is still your health on the line and it does take a medical professional 
to contribute in some way to a lot of these things. And yes, there's a medical professional I know who's doing this, but I don't want this to become like you're at Chuck E. Cheese or you're at a party and it's just like everyone's having fun. No one's paying attention and focused on the task at hand because being like on this side of it, even if I'm having fun and smiling, I'm still hyper-focused on the medical procedure or surgery I'm doing when I'm in the room. Yeah, 100%. I think that there is, it is sort of getting lost, right? And what you see is, and I'm not like, I don't know necessarily that I'm like against this. Like there are other people, other dermatologists that feel very strongly about this. And, you know, part of me, especially when I was in training was very much against, but like this sort of idea that like everyone is doing these procedures now, like it doesn't really matter what their training or background is. Like you could be a dentist, you could be um, an OBGYN, an anesthesiologist, and then you're like opening like these spas and doing Botox and filler. Like, do you have the skills as another professional, quote unquote, to be able to do these things? I think with adequate training, like you could do a great job, like if you're an anesthesiologist injecting. The problem is that we don't, there's no like, nobody that's overseeing this, right? Like nobody is saying, does this person have adequate skills? Like some people build up a reputation with time. They have a lot of before and afters. They have a lot of word of mouth that then maybe they're not classically trained in dermatology or plastic surgery, but still to this day, like if you wanted to be sure as a patient, just to, just to be clear, there's only three medical professions that are trained in Botox and fillers and these types of procedures during residency and have to pass the board exams on this and also have a certain limit number of procedures that they need to perform under supervision before they can even graduate their training programs. That's dermatology, plastic surgery, and ENT. And those are the only people that do these types of procedures like classically. Now, you can get those skills by going to other classes and other trainees and supervising people. Um, but there is sort of this risk that you don't know necessarily. And like, I don't know like how to reel this in because there's nobody that's sort of regulating it. But I, you know, I, I do think that there's sort of a danger of like, you know, just like hiring anyone to come over to your house and do your procedures for you. I mean, they might, they might even be better than me, you know, at, at doing these. I'm not saying that like I'm the best in the world or anything like this, but I do think there's a certain danger and then you sort of lose you lose like the idea that this is a medical procedure and then it becomes much more like a commodity. Yeah. And the force through the trees thing plays in here too. I was talking to Dr. Tripath, Prem Tripathi, a plastic surgeon. He gets a question and it was the, his, the question to him was, why do you talk about skincare? Like you're a surgeon, right? And he, and he said, if his responses are good, he's like, yeah, but if I do a facelift and you're avoiding your sunscreen, or if I do whatever, blepharoplasty, or I do a lip lift, whatever I'm doing, and you neglect the skin, it's an incomplete picture and you will have a less than favorable result. The outcome won't be good. And I think the same holds true here. And that's why the ENT plastics dermatology crew would most naturally fit the bill for who should be doing your fillers is because our focus is on the complete picture of the face and the aesthetics, even for a dermatologist who has no desire for aesthetics. Um, this is still something that's ingrained from you from the beginning of your training through the end. And so when you're looking at the lips, if, you, if you're someone who does filler, you're going to probably inherently assess that in light of everything else going on the face and you'll be able to create a bigger picture for a better outcome and long-term good results. Right. And you can also incorporate, right? Like, you know, if you have other devices in your office that are better suited for what the patient's yeah. desired outcome is, like you can 
incorporate those rather than filler, right? You could say, well, actually, I think you do better with RF microneedling mm -hmm. than filler to solve your laxity issue. And so therefore, we'll do that instead. And so I do think like having more tools is helpful. It's, I started smiling because I, it's something I never like really thought about. And I, I started thinking about Dr. Prem specifically and some of the products that he recommends versus some of the products that I recommend versus some of the products that you recommend. And I started to think it actually goes really very much back to like our training, right? Because he's trained in ENT and then he did a fellowship in facial plastics. Um, and because of that, he works probably mostly with facial plastics and plastic surgeons when he was in training. And so a lot of the products that he recommends and one of the products that he recommends often and brands that he recommends often is Obagi. Now, Obagi was actually started by a dermatologist, but most dermatologists don't sell it at their offices anymore and they don't recommend it anymore really that often, but it's very much been successful in the plastic surgery space. Um, same thing with Zio. Zio has been wildly successful in the plastic surgery space. And so you see him like sort of recommending things of, of, of his training. Hmm. Now, now, and, and, and like, not, not like, I mean, I think it's a great brand. I mean, it was started by Zane Obagi, you know, and I now I think Suzanne Obagi, who's at, in Pittsburgh, like leads the brand, both dermatologists, you know, they do have a line of great products. Um, some of them I like, some of them I, I hate, but some of them are decent. And, um, and some of them are groundbreaking. They did a really good job with vitamin C. They did a really good job with their retinols as well. And so he recommends those a lot because I think he learned a lot about those during training. Whereas like, you don't see him recommending often CeraVe, Cetaphil, um, you know, Eucerin, Aquaphor as much. And I, and I think part of the reason why is because in Derm, we're trained often on like allergic contact dermatitis eczema, um, acne, um, and then of course the anti-aging and stuff like that, right? So we of course like recommend a lot of the brands and they're going to overlap, but I think that there's a big, much bigger focus on sensitive skin in derm recommendations as a bias of what we see in our offices where his bias is that he's mostly seeing cosmetic patients when he's recommending skincare products. And so his recommendations are going to be more like anti-aging um, derm or professionally dispensed skincare brands. Whereas like, because of our training, our focus is a little bit different. And it just sort of dawned on me that that is how this is really kind of played out. Which <laughs> is why you should always follow and watch more than one take because I love it. I think you should have a balanced input into your life. You should have the casual individual who just is a fanatic because they're going to give you all the sensorial stuff. Like this feels so good. This looks so good. This smells so good. This one tastes so good. Then you should have like the hair guru. Someone with like long wavy hair, if you have long hair, because I can't subjectively tell you what works for my long hair. And then you should have the dermatologist, you should have the plastic surgeon, you have the cosmetic chemist. And from there, you're going to get a complete picture of what you should be doing. So I'm a big fan of well-rounded diversity in your input. Yeah. I, so I, I work with a lot of cosmetic chemists now, like professionally, not the ones that are on social media, but I'm friends with a lot of the ones on social media, but I, I work with them professionally. I do a lot of consulting and I work on a lot of other things. And the focus of cosmetic chemists, again, is so um, biased to like what they see. And then my perspective is. is always so biased <laughs> to what I see. And so for them, and, and you know, of course, like I value their opinion so much, it, it is, is, is oftentimes not on the performance of the product um, in the sense of like, what is sort of the clinical outcome of this particular product that you're creating, but so much of the like texture and at this, at this concentration of this ingredient, the ingredient starts to crystallize 
Or if you formulate this product this way, then you start to get a color shift where it goes from a cream color to a yellow color. And, and that's not desirable for the customer and consumer. And of course, like they think about the clinical aspect as well, because they look at the performance data that comes from the ingredient raws. Um, but the only thing I care about is like, is it going to be safe and effective for my right. people? And they care a lot about the other things. And so it really is like something that you need like everyone to come together on to like make a great product or even make great content around products. But um, everyone's opinion is is biased by what is important to them in their job. Yep, I agree. Um, all right. So we'll move on then to medical tourism and... This is something we talked about before. I was skeptical. Dr. Sean, Dr. Fisher were like, yes, let's do it. And speaking of bias, they've been to these countries and I haven't. And the more I hear about people coming back from these countries, the more I hear about how incredible and advanced other countries are compared to where I'm at. So, well, not me personally, but like us as a country in America, I feel like I keep hearing more and more and more about how medically, societally, professionally, like things are not only on par, but better than we have it here. And I know America and the EU, there's this uh, governing body thing where people are like, oh, the EU does this, the FDA does this. Well, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about cleanliness, small things you can't even appreciate or they don't quantify. And so this article here, I'm going to pull it up. It was sent, it came across my email this morning, but it was just an article talking about medical tourism and how it's grown and some of the history behind it. And even they talk about here, even historically, the Greeks and Egyptians just reading it verbatim. So if I'm incorrect, don't blame me. But they said that the Greeks and Egyptians took part in, in medical tourism. India has a long history offering yoga and other healing international patients since the 1500s. And now we're seeing this across the world where India says that have a growth of 30% annual growth of medical tourism alone annually. That's huge. And then I think Dr. Shaw came across some other interesting numbers there, but this is something that's not going away and it's going to be bigger and bigger. And the question here that this author proposed was what's the legal ramifications. And that was one of the knocks I think we universally considered is what happens when something goes wrong? Um, and I think that's still a real question that's left to be answered. Yeah. I mean, I think my position on this is sort of unchanged. Um, you know, I think medical tourism has been going on for a long time. It's only getting bigger. One of the things that they pointed out was this spread of infections. Um, and then those infections spreading to other countries, like there was this new Delhi metallo beta lactamase, which is probably something that is some type of beta lactamase resistant type enzyme that was spread from one bacteria to another and then lead, leads to resistant infections across the world. Um, I think we live in sort of like a global economy and it's very difficult to say like okay, people aren't going to travel and go to other places. Um, and they're saying that there may be lower quality standards and those standards may differ and that could affect patient safety. And then one of the other things I think we didn't even maybe account for was that after getting a medical procedure done, there's people are higher risk for clots, blood clots, thromboembolism. And that when you fly on a plane and have left this country right after a medical procedure, you could potentially be at a higher risk for blood clot, right? And I don't think that's something that we even had accounted for during our last uh, discussion about this. Is that right? They're correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
so then there's you know these ethical dilemmas and what's the re repercussions if something goes wrong and how do you follow up with the person and are the med the medicines that they're giving you just as good and I don't know I, I really still strongly believe that you know these countries that you're seeing a huge spike in medical tourism specifically Turkey some of the South American countries I'll give you an example so we I just took a hair transplant course brush up on this stuff and um st louis and there were hair transplant experts from across the world that came to tune into this but also to teach at this and most of them were from the united states i mean the class took place in the united states and uh, incredible course we learned tons of new techniques new uh, machines that are coming out in hair transplant but i was really blown away from some of the videos that were being shown to us from a hair transplant surgeon in Guatemala. And you know, this is biased based on just what I had seen over the, you know, two days of courses, is that I thought she was the best, honestly, of everybody that was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, now that was the, sort of the impression that I had gotten at looking at some of the videos that she'd done, some of the technology she was implementing. Like most people will shave your head and do a hair transplant, right? Or they'll trim your hair significantly take the plugs, transplant them. They grow back over the next six to nine months. She was doing hair transplants with hair intact, long hair transplants right to the front. You would have your hair when you leave the procedure. It's a very complicated thing to do. She was doing it and no one else was doing it. So I was really blown away by this Guatemalan hair transplant surgeon. And I was just thinking to myself, like, if you're good at what you do, you're an expert and you're aware of like, hygiene and sterile technique, which in these countries, I believe that they are. I do think that that there are incredible surgeons and, and doctors in other countries. And um, if you could identify the right ones that are doing things the right way, I, I think that it could be just as good as the United States, let's just say. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I do, I do think that then we talked last time about anecdote, which is, it's hard. How am I going to find the right doctor in Guatemala to do my hair transplant surgery, right? Like, what do I do? And it probably is going to be something similar to here. Here, though, we can look at training. We're familiar with universities. We might even look at their resume. More likely than not, we're going to be able to find someone who's been there before. And I think that last step is where it's probably going to fall for most people doing medical tourism is like, who did you use? Oh, it turned out well. Okay, great. I'm yeah. going there, which we said before is anecdote. And it's so weird that we still, even as doctors, will rely on that to make a huge decision. Actually, one of my um, what yeah, she mind? One of my nurses, she's gonna go to. Uh, I think she's going to Mexico to get a Brazilian butt lift. And I was, oh, uh, it's okay. super. And it's, whether it's done in the U.S. or otherwise, it's an incredibly dangerous procedure. Yeah, Maybe and I, I said, don't you be getting no budgety butt lift. And she said, oh, it's super cheap. I said, oh, no. <laughs> it's super. <cheap. laughs> you never want to lead with that. So, so actually, so that that was my whole argument, right? Was that it wasn't a matter of cost because I I, I would consider hair transplant not yet, but at some point, um, like if I'm going to get one cosmetic procedure done, it's going to be a hair transplant. Same. And I'll tell you this: if I got a hair transplant done and it was awesome, and it was in Guatemala or Turkey, would you not go to the same person I went to? Hundred percent. Okay. So anecdote, super powerful. <laughs> that being said, I. I <laughs> Like I wouldn't have considered going to her because she was the less expensive option, which I don't even know that she's the less expensive option, but I assume it's less expensive in Guatemala than the United States. Hair transplants are really expensive in the United States. 
I would consider going to her because I thought she was better <laughs> skilled <laughs> than the other options. So like, I, I think that if you're leading with price as the factor alone, then don't do it. But if you're leading with skill as the factor, then do it. That's a great synopsis. I think that's the perfect synopsis for those of you considering leaving the country you live in to get a procedure done elsewhere. All right, so how are we going to pay for these procedures? Now we're going to hear Dr. Maxfield's investment advice. Okay, so this may become a recurring thing. Dr. Sean and I actually are very both passionate about... Uh, by the way, you know Drake, right? The rapper? Not personally. Not per- I know who he is. Yeah. No, he is. So I found out who he was recently. Okay. You found well, out who he is recently? I, I've heard you say his name, but um, somehow he came across my nurses and then I played the, I came up from the bottom, now you're here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the reason that I throw this out now is for my investment advice, like a lot of this is actually, it, the hardest thing about investing is you have to get money up, up, up front. Like I come from a position of like where we had very, very little. And so the idea of not living paycheck to paycheck was unheard of. And I'd never imagined I'd be in any position where I could do anything but try to get by paycheck to paycheck and not even own a house, like rent a house. And so we may talk more about this in the future to try to help share our life experience and life stories to help people live vicariously. I have dabbled in an Airbnb. Um, There's a lot of lessons learned there. Dave Ramsey apparently is firmly against it. And he's just a financial advisor out there who I, I do believe he has some good wisdom. I saw his thing the day after I committed to it. He's like, this is the one way to wreck your life, get an Airbnb. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but today, uh, I'm talking about stocks. And I don't, I don't, I've never bought stocks. I'm not a financial advisor. I mean, I've never, I have bought stocks for like a small, small amount. But sometimes a stock will drop. Like the bottom will just drop out from under it. And uh, we saw this with Tesla last year. It just got cut in like 30% down, like huge. And co- the, the company looks stable. Like overall, the company seems to be doing okay. I saw this happen with fossil watches. Like I used to wear a fossil watch. Now I'm wearing Seiko, Seiko for the last five years. But the same thing, like 40, 50% the stock dropped and I had no idea why. And that one came right back up. So I'm considering, I've thought about Planet Fitness. This is a gym that somehow miraculously survived and thrived throughout COVID. They closed like everybody else, but somehow not only did they survive and thrive, they might've even grown and their membership is super cheap. It's like $10, $20 a month. And it was because they were going for like your, your average person. Like, oh, you're not a gym rat. You just want to work out, be healthy. This place is pretty clean and it's cheap. And their CEO, I don't think anyone knows why yet. I'm sure it'll come out at some point. He was ousted. He's been their longtime CEO and their stock has dropped what did you say? Was it 30%? It's the lowest it's ever been. 50 or 45% from its peak or something like that. It's low. It's lower, much lower than it was. That's Interestingly, the crazy. CEO actually, because now after you pointed it out to me, I looked it up, but yeah. he bought a bunch of stock recently at $65 a share. So it's down almost 50% from when he, as an insider, purchased stock. So it's interesting. He bought stock before he was fired mm-hmm. and then they fired him. I don't know. That's suspicious. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. So I don't know. So, all right. So here's my advice on this. Okay. So I've spent countless, like Dr. Maxfield, didn't have money that I could save for a very long time. And then you have to start making these decisions about, okay, where are you going to invest your money? What's a good investment? And I think all of us think of ourselves as wise investment gurus at some point. Um, But really, 
I've learned that we all have no idea what's going on. Um, and, and I think part of this like doctorly community, and that's, I think we can save this for the, this part for the end, because if you stuck around this long, then you really are sticking <laughs> along this journey with us is that you all hopefully grow and mature with us. And so you'll see us sort of make bad financial decisions and we'll share those things with you and we'll tell you what's working, what's not working, what we've learned, what we've spent time learning. Just like we learned about skincare and dermatology and we, we taught you along the way, we'll share little anecdotes about our life and what we're sort of investing in, what where our life is going and things like that. But I will say that for a long time, I considered myself sort of a savant of investing. And when I say for a long time, I mean for like two years. And I thought to myself, I know what's going to go up. I would watch a stock go down and I would say, you know what? This is a time to buy. Everyone's, you know, what Warren Buffett says, when everyone is fearful, that's when you want to start buying, right? So I'm like, oh, stock's down, got to buy. I have gotten killed on every stock investment <laughs> I've ever made that way. Not only does it go get worse and worse, sometimes they go to zero when I do this. And so what I found, and this is after spending hours, tens of hours with financial advisors, bankers, investment bankers, friends that are good at investments, lawyers, that the stocks, individual stocks, the people on the inside or in that inner circle or adjacent to that inner circle know so much more data than we do. And they're, by the time the news hits the news wire, They've already held, they've already put their position out there, right? So when you see JP Morgan making a prediction about where Bitcoin is going to go tomorrow, it's because they have their position in Bitcoin and now they're telling you what to do next because in ways it's sort of manipulating the market because they already hold their position. Then they put their position out there to the world. And by the time we're reacting to the news, they've already, everybody with a lot of capital has already made their decision about where they think this thing is going to go. So you're always behind the eight ball um, as, as, as a retail investor in my mind. Now, there were a few cases, if you watch really closely and if you care for these things, and I don't know how many people listen to us actually follow <laughs> any of this stuff, but there was one time where the street won, essentially, where, where sorry, the retail investor won. And that was GameStop, um, where the everybody on the institutional side was betting against it. They held their position. They tore the stock up in news and press. And the little retail investor on the street was in Reddit pumping this stock up and they all bought it. All the options um, and puts expired and this stock rallied to the moon. And all of the retail investors made a ton of money and the the institutional investors lost a boatload of money. And it's the only time or one of the few times where the person, the average person on the street actually beat the market. Now, all that to say that I've learned, and maybe I'm a little bit of a bear, uh, what we call in the investing world. Um, there's bulls, there's bears. Bulls are like more aggressive, more optimistic. Bears are a little bit more like whatever. Um, I just sort of bet the market. I'm still a you know, S&P 500 guy. Um, just follow the market because like individual stocks, I feel like I'm always going to lose. And uh, that's that's how I play the game now. I love it. So you know what this is? The bull and the bear financial advice. But I think Dr. Shaw brings up good points because as let's say we continue this, because I think we will, because I'm actually very, very passionate about I, honestly, we both are. We're very, very, very passionate about elevating people around us. And a part of this is probably going to be sharing our financial mistakes with you so you don't make them. 
like again mm-hmm. for family history i'm trying not to mistake make the mistakes my parents did I'm trying to help them i want to help you and so from this there comes the counterside this will be a dynamic discussion we're not telling you to do this i am going to feel bad if you buy some planet fitness stock and it bombs out because i bought some planet fitness stock on his advice because i trust him <laughs> and i also i'm somewhat of a gambler so like <laughs> i'm going to take the advice but th- but that being said i will say that with this platform why did we do this it, why do we even do a youtube channel why did we do content it was because we had all this information that the public didn't have access to and same thing with finances for us is that we didn't have we didn't know about these things and now we're learning about these things so we spend a lot of time with advisors and lawyers and we learn things that are just not widely available to the public and so i think in some ways it's beneficial to share these i think that the the financial world's a little bit more murky than the skincare world and so like i think our advice sometimes might be bad but like some of the things that you learn from these things you're like wow like why don't they teach this to people in mm-hmm. schools um and so part of that is like hopefully we share this maybe we do it on like a separate channel at some point yeah. i think that that might be more um make more sense but i spent a lot of time and effort talking to the right people on how to position a portfolio in the future so um hopefully we can share some of those things with you and it will make sense Right. I, I totally agree. We'll, we'll try to help you along the way. Separate channel probably coming soon. Who knows? But so I agree, Dr. Shaw, the single stock investment, very risky. Like I completely agree. I don't think any financial advisor, maybe for their own purposes, they don't want you investing in single stocks. So I'll let you all know how this goes with Planet Fitness. You can follow along. Just timestamp this week. It's the end of September. Watch me lose my small shirt because again, I'm not weighing in heavy on this because I know it's risky. But um, but yeah, so that's my advice. It's risky. Single stocks. I agree with Dr. Shaw. Probably don't do it, but we did it. And, um, we'll talk about real estate too. Real estate, the same problems. The people on the inside, your real estate agents, they know what properties are good. They're buying them before you can see them as the general public. That's something I've learned along the way with a lot of mistakes. So yeah, we've got a lot to share to try to help elevate you from getting out of your situation. If you want to go there with us. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Dr. Lee Unhinged, skincare and financial advice. Um, We'll see you all in the next episode. And we're shooting live, um, Dr. Maxfield and I in North Carolina next week. So definitely leave a comment letting us know what you want to hear about because we are recording soon. Yeah, we appreciate y'all as always. So thank you for being on this journey. See you in the next video.